This is An American Workplace, a podcast dedicated to rewatching and discussing NBC's beloved mockumentary series, The Office. My name is Chad Hopkins, and joining me, as always, is my good friend and co-host, Katie White. Katie, how are you doing tonight? I'm well, Chad. How are you? I am doing well also. It's uh, weekend time. I enjoyed relaxing a little bit this morning, taking a nap this afternoon, and then finally diving nice. in to the episodes and taking my notes and really having a good time because, you know, these two episodes we're talking about today are sort of all-time greats as as far as looking back on the series run as a whole, I think. Absolutely. These are, um, when I think about the early seasons of The Office, these two and probably the Dundies are like the three that come to mind. Yeah, and they're all bunched together here at the beginning of season two. So looking forward to diving into those a little bit more. Uh, first off, we have some thanks in order. Uh, this is our our second episode recording post-launch. So it's our second time being able to record these thank yous. So thank you to Adam Andrews, who reached out with kind words on Twitter. And then we also got our first two iTunes reviews. Yes, a big thanks to Douglas McNary and to Brittany92 on iTunes for the very kind words and the five-star reviews. Big thank you. Uh, that, that helps us get seen and helps um, spread the word about our podcast. So thank you very, very much. And to anyone else who would care to review, uh, we will give the information for that at the end of this podcast. Yes, we will. Now let's go ahead and dive into our discussion. So first on the table is Office Olympics, which aired on October 4th of 2005, was directed by Paul Feig, who's actually a pretty well-known comedy director. Most recently, he directed the 2016 Ghostbusters reboot. And this episode was written by Michael Schur. What happens here, Katie? So in this episode in Office Olympics, Michael decides, or has already decided, to buy a condo. He and Dwight go to meet the realtor named Carol during a workday. So while he's out, the office begins talking about what little games they like to play to keep them occupied during the day. So when Michael's gone, the office breaks out into a full-fledged Olympic-style competition of mini-games. We have Dunderball, we have Flonkerton, Hateball, and who can put the most M&Ms in their mouth. Meanwhile, while Michael's at the condo, he's getting cold feet about his commitment to a 30-year mortgage. Upon finally signing his papers, Michael agrees to let Dwight rent out his spare bedroom, but Dwight declines since we learn he lives on a 60-acre beet farm. That's a perfect situation for him. Upon Michael arriving at the office, the festivities die down, and the office resumes their assigned task, which takes almost no time. So the closing ceremonies are held where Jim awards Michael a gold medal for closing on his condo. Yeah, that, that's pretty much it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> let's go ahead. Well, I, I should address first. I actually need to apologize because I said something the last episode, I think, about we already knew Dwight had a beet farm and I double checked and nope, this is when we actually found that out. <laughs> so sorry about that. If you're watching with us for the first time, oops, sorry. Yeah, my, my fault for sure. I take the blame for that. But uh, now we know. I didn't catch it either. So yeah. <laughs> uh, let, let's go ahead and start talking about Michael and Dwight because they're not as much the focus in this episode as everybody else. So first off, Michael not taking a personal day to take care of personal business, i.e. renting a, or buying a condo. Uh, he, he first tells Dwight, it's completely personal because Dwight is saying, hey, I want to go with you. I want to represent you. I want to make sure everything's on the up and up. But Michael says, no, this this isn't work related. I don't need you there. This is completely personal. And Dwight counters with, so you're taking a personal day? And then Michael quickly backpedals. And he says, no, 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 no. As a boss, I need to make sure I have a living situation so that I can then work. Uh, so, so really, it's a work thing. Yeah, it, it's ultimately a work thing. Because if I don't have a home, then what am I going to be like here at work? So he does concede and lets Dwight tag along. 
And I, I didn't add this to our assistant to the regional manager tally, but he makes a very similar joke, except they substitute the words representative and associate instead of assistant to the regional manager and assistant regional manager. And Dwight says, it's the same thing. And Michael says, no, it's not. And then once again, Dwight gives that look to the camera like, you and I, we know what's going on. I'm actually his representative, but no, uh, Michael is insistent that he is a, an associate, not representing Michael in any way. He's always trying to knock him down a peg. I don't know what Michael's problem with Dwight is, especially this early in the series, but he's he must think he's cocky or something. He's always trying to knock him down one. For sure. And on it, on their way out of the office, Michael goes up to Pam and he says, most honorable Pamara. And he sa- clarifies, that's not offensive because that's how they talk in movies. Right. Not how that works. Whatever, Michael. Uh, but he's the way- reason he goes up to Pam in the first place is because she was in charge of rerouting his magazine subscriptions to the new condo address. He was already anticipating buying this straight up and not having any problems. And it's funny because he he references a couple uh, magazines like Small Businessman and uh, Maxim, and then he gets to Cracked Magazine. And Pam makes this sort of snide comment about, yes, Michael, I made sure that your subscription to Cracked Magazine is in order and is going to the new address. What's funny about that is that as of this time, this this episode aired in October of 2005, the last episode of Cracked Magazine came out in November of 2004. Huh. And then it relaunched as Cracked.com in October of 2005. So right around the time this episode aired, which I don't think they were anticipating. So the joke here is that Cracked Magazine is defunct. And Pam knows that, but Michael doesn't really. And even if it wasn't defunct, it's this satire magazine that has no heft to it, no no real meat to it, or not traditionally. So the whole thing is sort of a twofold joke. One, that this magazine is defunct at this point and just isn't being printed anymore. And two, it's a joke satire magazine in the first place. And so even if it was still ongoing, Michael being this branch manager and trying to make an impression on people, uh, you'd think he'd be reading more reputable sources. And so Pam is sort of giving him double shade, as it were, as far as his cracked magazine subscription goes. Right. I think we learn a lot about Michael's character in this episode, a bit about what scares him. Um, he's clearly afraid of this commitment when when he goes to see the condos. First of all, he gets them confused, which one is which. Um, he's talking to Dwight about how, oh, he can just see his grandkids growing up in this front lawn. And, oh, no, 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 it's, 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 it's this one behind us. Like, he, you know, they're all identical. They're all fairly cheaply made. Um, when he and Dwight are touring the condo, you can hear every sound of, of the neighbors next to you. Um, the walls are super thin. The floors are very thin. And um, I think Michael starts to realize that maybe this might not be the best place to be signing a mortgage on for 30 years. And he's already in his 40s, presumably. And you can see him kind of get that red flag of commitment going up. And ultimately, the only reason he signs the papers is because Carol tells him that he would lose $7,000 if he walked away. But that amount of money up front to him scared him enough to buy this crappy condo when he was going to be spending a lot more money. It was just kind of an interesting personality quirk there. Yeah, the the flaws in the building are all pointed out mostly by Dwight. Uh, so it's sort of a good thing he showed up because Dwight is actually truly trying to help Michael a little bit, I think. He's searching very diligently for any issues the house might have. He's the one who points out the thin walls. He's the one who 
oh, look, carpenter ants. <laughs> uh, yeah. he, he finds all these these things that would be sort of red flags in a lot of circumstances. But then, as you said, Michael tries to back out and Carol tells him, you'll lose $7,000. Funny enough, you've noted this and I knew this going in. The woman who portrays Carol in this episode is Nancy Wells, who is actually Steve Carell's wife in real life. So uh, cool that they were able to act on screen together. When we do find out about Dwight and his beet farm, we see a picture of him with his cousin Mose, who helps him to run the beet farm. Funny story, this episode is written by Michael Schur, and Mose is actually portrayed by Michael Schur. So that's our first time seeing that character. Very much like Todd Packer in season one, we heard his voice several episodes before we actually saw him in person in season two. So this is Michael Schur, the writer for this episode, being Moe's for the first time. And he plays him for the whole rest of the series run. And Michael is so annoyed with Dwight this whole episode. Um, Dwight's just bringing up point after point after point. And I think he's scaring Michael. Um, and by the end, Michael is so annoyed with Dwight only because Michael realizes that he's made a mistake in buying this condo. He's sitting with Dwight in the, I guess, a bedroom of his condo, eating a sandwich and just, no, this is good. This this is good. This is my bachelor pad, you know, and he's like convincing himself that buying this condo is a good idea and can see the, you know, midlife crisis kind of <laughs> kick in a little bit. Now, going back to the office and all the, the fun stuff that's happening while these two are gone, uh, we have the Office Olympics going on. And it's funny, this episode starts with Jim dying of boredom. He, he's hitting buttons on his desk, on his keyboard, and then he just sort of face plants into the table. And Pam has this talking head where she says, yeah, every once in a while, Jim dies of boredom. And so this whole episode is sort of a solution to Jim's boredom because all they've got assigned to them for this workday is this simple expense report, which as we find out later, Jim finishes in five minutes. He closes two sales at lunchtime. So it's about as productive as any other day. But all the rest of the time is spent playing these games. And so he starts off, he goes to Pam, and she has this game where she tries to throw things into Dwight's mug while he's away. And uh, in the deleted scenes, we actually learn that she calls this skeet shrooting, <laughs> which is right. the, the, the first game name that she actually comes up with, uh, though it didn't make it into the episode. But there, there's that game. He goes over to accounting and he learns about hate ball, uh, which is the, the paper football game that Oscar and Kevin have been playing for the, the better part of two years and the reason it's called hate ball is because Angela hates it. And when Kevin tells us that we get this funny zoom in on Angela's face, staring through the, the glass partition uh, where she, she truly looks outraged <laughs> that they're, they're continuing this game. Yeah. <laughs> so those are the first two games that we get. And uh, it's just Jim hopping around the office, asking people if they have anything to pass the time, any sort of games that they play by themselves or with others and uh, joining in before it actually does become the office Olympics. Well, and surprisingly, Angela says that she plays a little game of her own. We don't end up playing it in the Olympics here, but she calls it Pam Pong. And she says this as kind of a snide remark to Pam. It's when she keeps track of how many times Jim gets up from his desk to visit Pam at reception. And um, later on in the episode, we see Angela tick off a point because Jim gets up and goes and talks to Pam and Pam and Angela make eye contact. And I guess Pam kind of realizes, oh, maybe people are starting to notice something about Jim and Pam. I think that's the first time anybody besides the two of them and the audience watching the show really knows that something is going on. Yeah, it's definitely further awakening her to the possibility that there might be something between her and Jim aside from just being friends, at least in Jim's eyes, uh, and that everybody else is catching on to it, or at least Angela is. 
Uh, well, let's go ahead and just talk more in depth about the the Office Olympics themselves. So starting off, we we have this opening ceremony that Jim and the other participants have in the break room. And it, it Jim's lighting the scented candle, andle, andle, that he finds <laughs> in the men's bathroom, room, room. <laughs> which which suits to like Kevin's cookies. joy, smells like cookies, yes. <laughs> and it, it's just this fun opening bit. He's singing the Olympic fanfare, and they all walk out singing the Olympic fanfare together. And it, it's just a, a fun start. Jim says something to the effect of, represents the burning of competition or whatever, and then out they go. <laughs> and they're using yogurt lids as their gold, silver, and bronze medals. But the bronze are actually blue, and they're the back of the gold, so honor system, as Pam tells everybody. <laughs> so what's the first sport that we actually see in the Office Olympics? I believe, is it Flonkerton, the first uh, big group activity? I think you're right. At that point, they've already done something because uh, I think Kevin and Jim, or at least Jim for sure, are already wearing medals. So, but, but I don't think we see how they earn those. So I do think that Flonkerton, as Pam so quickly and geniusly comes up with, uh, is the first sport that we see actually in the Olympics. We learn about Pam that she's quick with with naming things. I had some stuff to say about um, Michael and Dwight as far as funny moments go. Um, one of the big ones, I think, for me was when the realtor and the landlord mistake Michael and Dwight for a couple. And they, they try to ease into it very um, politically correct. Yeah, the, the condo association guy or the homeowner association from the neighborhood says... We're accommodating of all lifestyles. It's really friendly in that respect. And Michael says, oh, that's good. And Carol is understanding that Michael doesn't know what he's actually talking about. And she says, yeah, we're very accepting of gay lifestyle. That's very okay with us here. Michael says, oh, it's good, good. It's good to be accommodating of that. And that's when Dwight leans in and he says, hey, let's go check out the master bedroom because both of them are so oblivious. Uh, but I think Michael gets this look on his face in that moment where he realizes exactly how it sounds and how they're coming across, uh, showing up together, investigating together, and then Michael or and then Dwight leaning in and saying, let's go check out the master bedroom and <laughs> exactly how that's coming across <laughs> and what why, why they're telling them about the how accepting of gay people they are. I mentioned it a bit in the in the summary of the episode, but when Michael generously offers to let out his third bedroom to Dwight for 500 a month plus utilities because he's such a good friend and a hard worker, but Dwight wants out of this really badly because his living situation's perfect. So Dwight bugs him and intentionally bugs him with a million questions until he gets Michael to take it back. He doesn't just say, no, thank you. I'm, I'm happy where I am. He gets Michael to take it back. Yeah, he pesters him with questions. He says, "What? where can my terrarium go? I, I was left with a large number of armoires. It's my favorite uh, one. <laughs> all these things that, okay, okay, Dwight, whatever. But he's very clearly trying to annoy Michael to the point of taking rescinding that offer uh, so that Dwight can continue living in his nine-bedroom farmhouse. Uh, but then he says, you know, the second bathroom would have been nice. We only have the one, and it's under our porch. <laughs> so we're, we're truly getting a glimpse into how old school Dwight's even living situation is, because we talked previously about how Dwight has these sort of archaic views of women and justice and all those kinds of things. And in fact, at the start of this episode, when Michael was first telling us about how he is buying a condo, he talks about how... If you didn't own property back in the day, you used to not be able to vote and you'd be hung in stocks in public and shamed and all that kind of stuff. 
And Dwight says, yeah, it'd be a good idea to bring the stocks back. There'd be a lot less crime. And so even in views like that, he's he's very archaic in his views of justice and treating crime and that kind of stuff. Which fits in very well with how we learn how he lives. I mean, he lives very minimally, so it all ties in. <laughs> it does. Now, just sort of finishing up a little bit on the Office Olympics, what my favorite part about the Office Olympics is that it's sort of a trickle of involvement. It starts off and it's mostly jamming, uh, jam, wow. Uh, <laughs> it's mostly Jim and Pam. And then they get the, the accounting team together first because Oscar and Kevin are already into distracting and Toby gets into it. And all of a sudden they're all gathered in the break, break room. And it's not until Flonkerton when Phyllis comes and joins in. And then later we see Stanley come and join in. And previously in the episode, Jim had gone to those characters and had asked them if they had any games to play to pass the time. And they both turned him down. Like they were more serious about work than about goofing off. And, you know, Jim wasn't into that. <laughs> so it was fun that even those, those sort of initial naysayers got involved and active in the Olympics the further the day went on because everybody else was having so much fun. And that does lead to the ending when Michael and Dwight are both back. Uh, Michael is clearly depressed. He doesn't have anything to say about the, the shenanigans that are clearly going on in the office. And he just sort of locks himself in his office. And Jim goes to Pam and he says, okay, the, the closing ceremonies are on for five. And then he goes and he gets Michael out of his office and says, hey, I want to show you something. I want to give you something. And he puts him on the podium and he gives Michael a gold medal for buying a condo. And even Dwight gets the silver medal for helping Michael. And then Jim joins him in the third place spot on the, quote, podiums. And they have closing ceremonies. And everybody's gathered around. Michael, <laughs> he, he has this very short speech. He says, I'm not one to make speeches. And I'm thinking in the back of my head, yeah, right. Uh -oh. <laughs> <laughs> but then he just says, my heart is very full at this moment. And everybody else just sort of beams up at him. It's a very peaceful moment in the office. Everybody's on good terms with each other. And they play the national anthem. And Michael asks, why are we playing the national anthem? Jim says, because your condo's in America. Covering up the fact that they've just been goofing off all day. Exactly. He acts like this whole thing was put together specifically for Michael, which does make him feel good, even though it's a lie. Uh, but then Pam brings out the doves that she put together and they're, they're strung behind them on the podium. Michael says, what the hell is that? And Jim says, oh, those are the doves. He doesn't even try to hide that. <laughs> the, the national anthem is because your condo is in America, but uh, I don't have a reason for doves. So yeah, they're, they're just doves. They're just doves. <laughs> I think my favorite part of that is when the national anthem is playing and their hands are over their hearts, Jim and Dwight just put their hands over their hearts, but Michael places his medal over his arm so that we can all better see his gold medal. <laughs> just <laughs> very uh, strategically placed there. Yes, and it's funny because Dwight, after he receives his silver medal, he looks down and goes, oh, look, a silver medal. He's really happy that he's proud of it. Michael says, yep, not as good as gold. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I thought you were about to mention this, uh, and I was going to laugh because I, I always love this. When they play the national anthem, everybody has their hands over their hearts, including Kevin, but he has the wrong hand over his heart. He's got his left hand. That's up. right. <laughs> <laughs> and that, always, that always makes me laugh. But all in all, that, that ending, it's just so nice. Everybody's together. Everybody's had a good time all day. Michael is feeling a little bit better because his office, his employees are there in his mind cheering him on. And he even sheds a tear or two there at the end. And it, it's, it's just a great ending to the episode. Uh, we've had fun with the people who stayed behind and were having fun in the office. 
we've enjoyed following Michael and panicking, uh, <laughs> uh, panicking at the thought of purchasing this condo, which he will be paying off for the next 30 years. And yeah, it's just a, a great ending to the episode. I agree. So onto a bit of like special material, deleted scenes. It should be noted that this is the first episode of the series to use a cold open, which I believe they use in every single episode onward. A cold open is when they play a clip of material, a couple of scenes before the opening credits. And they do that from here on out, which is sort of a, a trademark of The Office. Yeah, most of the time, it's the cold open isn't related to the main story of the episode. So at the beginning of the episode, it's early and Michael has his voiceover and he says, I'm an early bird and I'm a night owl, so I'm wise and I have worms. And then we see that he's sitting in his office. It's probably 5.30, 6 a.m., something like that. He goes, mmm, breakfast. And Ryan has shown up and gives Michael this sausage, egg, and cheese biscuit. Michael says, yummy, yummy. Thank you, Ryan. And Ryan says, so what did you need me here early for? And Michael says, uh, the sausage, egg, and cheese biscuit. Thank you. <laughs> and he says, you know, just just take a couple hours. The office is yours. Go run around, pull off some risky business, all that kind of stuff. <laughs> He's like, I'm going to go nap in my car until work starts. <laughs> As if Michael couldn't have picked up a sausage, egg, and cheese biscuit on the way to work. <laughs> yeah, especially since it was so early. It's not like he was aiming to be there for a specific event. He was just there early. And uh, I guess that was one fewer stop on his way if Ryan got it for him. <laughs> Not thinking that Ryan would have had to get up, get ready, go get this, and then sit. <laughs> yeah, and like I said, it's presumably five or six, somewhere in that time, because Michael says, take a couple of hours uh, and the office is yours. So assuming their workday starts at eight or maybe nine, it's very, very early in the morning. What is Michael doing there? <laughs> no idea, to <laughs> We be never honest. learn, but that doesn't sound like something he would do. No, but we have talked in the past about how Michael must be in some capacity really good at his job. So maybe uh, he shows up early every day to actually do legitimate work. And then when he has an audience, he goofs off. I don't know. That's just a thought. You know, that would be very responsible of him. That would be nice. <laughs> in, in some capacity. <laughs> I, I don't know if it's responsible to uh, distract his employees <laughs> all day. True. But on his end, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but Ryan just looks livid in that moment. And he just says, all matter of fact, I'm going to go take a nap in my car until work. <laughs> we also have a number of deleted scenes. One of my favorites is when Jim finds Dwight's wallet in the parking lot, and he enlists Pam to um, help him decide how to prank Dwight. Pam decides that they shouldn't do anything. The best thing to do is to give Dwight back his wallet exactly how they found it. And Dwight being Dwight, Jim being Jim, Dwight is already suspicious that something happened. He does not believe Jim that they did nothing to it. And Dwight cancels all of his credit cards. <laughs> the <laughs> ultimate prank, actually do nothing. Which sort of foreshadows another Jim and Dwight moment in the future. And I'll, I'll hopefully remember to reference back to this episode when that happens. But it's funny, Jim actually looks disappointed as he just hands over the wallet without anything having been done to it. Like he, he doesn't see the genius in it at first. And he, he's sort of thinking, you know, Pam's just sort of spoiling his fun, or at least that's just the, the sort of look in his eyes that he looked kind of bummed out that they didn't pull off some sort of prank. But then he he sees the prank working its magic on Dwight, and it ends up being a really good prank, even though it took very little effort. Michael has a talking head in the deleted scenes where he talks about how when a man dies, four things go through his head. One, was I well loved? And he checks it off his imaginary list. Two, did I express myself? Check. Three, will an attractive woman cry at my funeral? 
And he says, actually, there will be probably several of them. Check, 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 check. <laughs> and then, was I successful and own real estate? And he says, soon, after I sign off on my condo today, that'll be a check as well. So I don't know where Michael got this list of things that a man sees before he <laughs> dies. But uh, it, it makes for a funny talking head, for sure. There's another good Michael deleted scene where we're, we're in the condo with Michael and he's bragging about the number of rooms that his condo has. It's a three-bedroom. So he says, you know, the first bedroom's for me. The second bedroom is for the ladies. Forgetting, of course, that in his perfect scenario, the ladies should probably be in his bedroom. But he kind of forgets that in his uh, bragging. Yeah, that is a, a funny moment where Michael's just sort of not paying attention. And then I had one more Michael moment where he is actually trying to back out of that condo deal. He's got the paperwork in front of him and he, he leans over and he takes a big whiff of this, the, the contract. This really loud sniff. He says, this whole deal smells of fraud. <laughs> it's just such a ridiculous <laughs> moment. And uh, th there were a couple of moments in the episode where I thought that maybe uh, his wife, uh, the actress playing Carol, was trying very, very hard and mostly succeeding to keep a straight face. But I think there was once or twice you sort of see the corners of her mouth twitch because uh, she very nearly loses it. I don't know. I might be imagining that. I'll have to watch for that. And then the deleted scenes end with Dwight dumping out a mug full of paper clips and paper wads that <laughs> Jim and Pam have spent the better part of their day uh, chucking into the mug from across the room. And we see that they even get a uh, a joint toss. They They both make it in, which is fun yeah well i think that's all we have for deleted scenes uh i believe you chad have the discussion topic for this episode i do and i'm looking forward to hearing what you have because our discussion topic for this episode is to come up with a sport for the office olympics so what do you have i would love to see some kind of stapler shooting you know like at a target stapler skeet shooting or something like that Okay, so you like unfold the stapler yeah. and you click it in the direction of the paper? Yeah. Gr growing up, did anybody like shoot you with, with staples? Not fun, but <laughs> they can get some distance. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the, the staplers were almost sort of like rail guns or yeah. something like that where you clicked them and they went flying. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, like archery with a stapler. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what about you? I came up with a, a couple possibilities. The first one is a sort of race for call forwarding uh, where... You, you see who can forward calls from one phone to the next one to the next one all the way through the office the fastest. Oh, okay. So that involves actually some running back and forth. You'd start probably at reception and you'd forward it to Jim's desk. And so you'd have to run over to Jim's desk and then you'd have to forward it to the next phone and to the next and to the next. Uh, so that, that was one of them. And then the other one I came up with was a sort of partner game where you take paper clips. And you know how when you unfold a paper clip from the middle, it turns into an S? Mm -hmm. So see who can make the longest link of paper clips without them falling apart. So you take partners and you just sort of add one paper clip at a time and you have to hold them horizontal. Uh, so you have to hold the, the right tautness uh, so that it doesn't become slack and fall apart that way. Hmm. Uh, I don't know. I think that'd be fun. Yeah. No, that sounds good. So sort of, good teamwork. Sort of both an endurance and a teamwork <laughs> activity. Yeah. <laughs> well, I believe that wraps it up for the Office Olympics. On to episode four of season two of The Office, The Fire, aired on October 11th, 2005, directed by Ken Quapis, written by B.J. Novak. This episode starts with Ryan in Michael's office as he starts to evaluate Ryan's performance at Dunder Mifflin uh, for the purpose of the temp agency. But it's quickly derailed when the fire alarm actually goes off, causing everyone to evacuate to the parking lot. 
after Ryan reveals that he wants to own his own business one day, Michael, being as generous as he is, takes it upon himself to come up with 10 rules of business to share with Ryan, which leads to Dwight becoming jealous of this pair's time spent together. Meanwhile, while they wait for the office to be okayed by the fire department, make it sure it's okay to go inside after the smoke clears out, uh, Jim leads the rest of the staff in various games, including Desert Island books and movies and Who Would You Do? So, start us off, Katie. What what character do you want to talk about first? Jim, I think. Jim is a big character in this episode. We see a lot of um, new things about Jim. First, I, I guess that he shows a lot of leadership, actually, during the fire evacuation. I guess we also saw it in the Office Olympics. He takes it upon himself to kind of lead his co-workers. That actually comes a little bit from a talking head we didn't mention in the Office Olympics episode where Pam is talking about how the great thing about Jim is when he's passionate about something and he's excited for it. He does a whole lot of stuff to make sure it's awesome. Uh, but because he works at Dunder Mifflin, a paper company, and he his, his job is to sell paper, that doesn't happen very often because it's not a very exciting job. So he does the Office Olympics and he gets really into it. And now here he's leading everybody in these, what he refers to as sort of deep psychological discussions about what you would take on a desert island. So yeah, it, it really does show a lot about Jim being a leader and Jim taking charge and having everybody participate in this game while they're stuck outside during work hours. We also see a bit of Pam, Jim stuff this episode as well. The episode starts out with Jim getting a phone call and we learn that it's Katie. Katie is the purse saleswoman from Hot Girl a couple episodes back. We learn that Jim and Katie are dating and Pam suggests that Jim gives Katie his phone extension so that she doesn't have to forward the call every time. Um, and she feels weird talking about that on camera. She says, am I talking really loud? I feel like I'm talking really loud. So we can see that she's a bit uncomfortable with what's going on here. It's weird. It's almost a sort of jealousy or even just exasperation with the fact that Jim is interested in this other girl. It's almost sort of subconscious because she is still engaged to Roy and she, of the two of them, is still dedicated to that relationship. But Maybe she does have feelings for Jim in some respect. And previously, Jim was giving her all the attention. Now there's this other girl that he's giving his attention to instead. So even though she's not really actively thinking, probably, about how she has feelings for Jim, her jealousy and uncomfortability talking about this subject and talking about the two of them together is probably indicative of something under the surface in regards to how she thinks about him. But uh, by the end of the episode, once Katie shows up and she participates in the Desert Island discussion as well, you see during earlier in the episode, Meredith was the first to list her Desert Island movies. And one of the movies she mentioned was Legally Blonde. And Pam first starts to defend the choice of Legally Blonde. But Jim says, no, no, Pam, no. Legally Blonde, we're not talking about guilty pleasure movies. We're talking about movies that you're going to be watching for the whole rest of your life. Are you going to watch Legally Blonde for the rest of your life? And it's it's a cute moment in that, that time it happens. Uh, but then when Katie shows up, the very first movie she mentions, Legally Blonde for her Desert Island movies. And Jim actually sort of shuts it down and Pam laughs out loud uh, at the fact that this girl that Jim is dating, after going through this discussion and turning her away from that film, the girl he's dating, that's the first one she mentions. I've always wondered if Pam was laughing for the reason you said, because that's the movie that she names first, or if she thinks Jim has told her to say that. I've never really known. It could really be either, you know, if, if it's a funny kind of 
prank that Jim pulled and said, hey, say Legally Blonde, it'll be a funny joke for Pam. Or if Katie really did choose Legally Blonde. I don't know. I don't know either. I'd never thought about that. Uh, I always just assumed that it was uh, showing that Jim doesn't have any sort of connection, not real connection to Katie, or at least that they're not a good match for each other. Right. But then the fact that Katie does mention Legally Blonde first, uh, it sort of lessens her uncomfortability with Jim and Katie. And she's, she says at the very end, they're cute together. She's got a cute car. Oh, she's just so cute. Almost sort of not demeaning her, but placing less importance on their relationship because it's probably not as serious as Katie would like to think. We also have a interesting Roy, Jim, and Pam moment when um, they're still evacuated from the building and Roy comes up to Jim and Pam and asks if he can hang out with them because the warehouse guys can be jerks. Why does why does he choose Jim and Pam? I can see why he chooses Pam, but she's with Jim. And then, of course, he joins in on the game they're playing, which at this moment is Who Would You Do?, and when Roy is asked, he doesn't choose his fiance; he chooses Angela. Oh, oh, Roy! Oh, Roy! <laughs> Still so insensitive to Pam. He's right next to Pam, and he picks Angela, or I think he refers to her as the the tight ass Christian chick, or something yeah. like that. <laughs> What's her name? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, still. Despite that, when the discussion has sort of moved on and they've actually dispersed a little bit, but the women are still talking, who would you do? And everybody, all the women are saying, Jim, yeah, Jim, I agree, Jim. And Pam won't pick Jim, despite him being sort of the obvious choice in the office. And she mentions Oscar, she mentions Toby, and poor Kevin in the background is feeling left out because they're thinking, who else is there? And Kevin's just wanting them to, somebody to say his name and it's right. not happening. But yeah, Roy is just, he's a jerk. Uh, there was one scene, it was a quick flash where everybody has already evacuated the building and we see this brief moment with the warehouse guys and they're all drinking beer and a couple of them throw their bottles down on the ground. Uh, so I guess Roy, for some reason, wasn't wanting to be around that. And that's when he comes over to Jim and Pam. And I would assume he goes over to hang out with Jim just because Pam is there. And so it's sort of him taking ownership again where he's interrupting on their buddy-buddy time to reassert that Pam is my fiancé. But then right. right after that is when he chooses Angela for the Who Would You Do game. So go figure. I can't yeah. figure Roy out. <laughs> Speaking of Angela, it's funny that when the game starts off as Desert Island books, because Jim assumes everybody reads more than they actually do, Angela won't choose more than The Bible and The Purpose Driven Life by Rick Warren, I believe, uh, for her three Desert Island books. She only lists those two. Uh, so we're we're learning more and more about Angela. I think this might be the first references to her being very Christian. Previously, she's just sort of been uppity and uh, a cat strict. lady. Yeah, yeah, a cat lady. But here, it's established she's a Christian lady, and and she's into the Bible and Bible study books like Purpose Driven Life is and that kind of stuff. What's really central to what's happening outside is this Michael Ryan Dwight sort of trio. Uh, or duo plus one to uh, <laughs> Dwight's misfortune. Because like I said, Michael is taking it upon himself to tell Ryan the quote, 10 rules of business that he's coming up with on the spot. And so he goes through the first one is you have to play to win, but you have to win to play. <laughs> and then he says, I will have to give you the rest at lunch. And so now it's lunch and he, he has no idea what he's saying. In fact, there's a deleted scene where he and Dwight are in Michael's office together trying to come up with these rules really fast before lunch, and they only make it as far as four or five, I think. 
But over the course of the episode, as soon as they get outside, the fire alarm has gone off. Michael says, you have to be able to adapt to different situations. And then he says one of the stupidest things I think he's said so far in the show, where he says, adapt, react, readapt, apt. (laughs) (laughs) That always makes me laugh. Doesn't mean a thing. No, it doesn't. Not at all. But Ryan wanting this this positive evaluation for the temp agency, presumably, so he can maybe find work elsewhere is sort of what I had going on in my mind. He dutifully is following Michael around and listening to him and repeating every single inane thing he says about business, including the fourth rule. We don't hear the third one. The fourth rule is image is everything. And so Michael takes him over to his car and he's talking about how his car is a business asset. If he has to drive around a customer or if he's seen out in public even. Uh, and then he he pauses and he asks Ryan, do you like it? Like he's seeking Ryan's <laughs> approval. We see more of Ryan's distance in this episode. Um, at the beginning of this episode, we see Ryan say, you know, I, I don't want to have a thing here. I don't want to be a guy here. You know, Angela has cats. Stanley does the crossword puzzle. I don't want to be a guy here. And he gets his thing this episode. He starts the fire. And um, <laughs> that's just, you know, that kind of solidifies his permanence at the office. Uh, yes, he's a temp, but now he's a guy here, too. Yeah, everything he does in this episode is trying to avoid becoming a permanent fixture. Uh, He doesn't care what Michael thinks. In fact, Michael says at the start of the episode that Ryan is interested in knowing what Michael thinks about his performance so far. And Ryan clarifies, no, the temp agency wants to know about what you think of my work here so far. So he doesn't care about anything that's going to help him here. He cares about what's going to help him elsewhere. And then when Dwight, when they get downstairs and outside and Dwight is trying to establish a countdown for attendance purposes, Michael suggests giving Ryan a permanent number for future attendance countdowns. And Ryan says, no, 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 I don't want that. He doesn't want to be part of the system. He He's trying to avoid that. And the tides shift towards maybe the, the last third of the episode when it's revealed that Ryan has started attending business school and he starts asking Michael these business questions because Michael says, quiz me, I bet I can answer every single question you give me with flying colors. And Michael knows nothing about business. Uh, He doesn't know any of the technical stuff. Well, I should clarify, Michael knows stuff about business. He's a good people person when it comes to actually doing his job. But Ryan knows more of the technical stuff about business or he's starting to learn the technical stuff about business, which Michael has nothing, no knowledge about. So Michael starts talking about how Ryan is so smart and man, I wish I'd gone to business school. I had done this and done that in my youth, but I didn't go to business school. And like I said, the ties just sort of turn where Michael is almost learning from Ryan about business rather than trying to teach him. But then that flips once again when Dwight comes downstairs out of the the office building uh, with the reveal that Ryan did indeed start the fire with his his cheese pita in the toaster oven. And once again, Ryan is reduced to lowly temp status and is the butt of Michael and Dwight's singing joke. And Dwight becomes very jealous of Ryan in this episode, which is why he ends up going into the building to kind of win back Michael's affection and find his phone, which Michael thinks he has left in the office, but he is not. Um, And Michael is really impressed with Ryan, and and we definitely see Dwight kind of vying for Michael's affections again. Yeah, it's funny. Again, referencing the moment when he's trying to establish countdown numbers, Michael says, well, he can't add the number one, obviously, referring to himself. So what if we give him number two? And Dwight desperately says no, <laughs> because he doesn't want Ryan to be number two. Right. In the previous episode, Dwight is talking in a, a talking head about how he and Michael 
are this classic duo about how Michael is Mozart and Dwight is Mozart's friend or <laughs> no, 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 no. Michael is Mozart and Dwight is Butch Cassidy. And if you mess with Mozart, you're going to get a bullet in the head from Butch Cassidy. Uh, he's all mixed up, all kinds of mixed up. He could have gone Mozart Salieri yeah, that <laughs> or was he my could have gone <laughs> Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. But no, he had to mix the two and whatever. That's Dwight. But that's the kind of relationship he has with Michael. So that that was in the previous episode, but it's continued the same notion here where he's very much trying to continue to be Michael's number two. And for some reason, it appears that Michael is really latching on to Ryan instead, and Dwight doesn't like it very much. And after Michael shoots him down and says, you'll never know as much about business as Ryan does, and Dwight goes off and hides in his car and turns up Everybody Hurts by Nazareth <laughs> really loud. <laughs> Leading to a semi-sweet moment between him and Jim and Pam. Jim and Pam come up and check on him, say, hey, make sure, I'm making sure that you're doing okay. And Dwight actually thanks them. He says, thank you guys uh, for coming up and comforting me. And he says, but I, I just need a, I need some time alone. So it's the first time they have a really sort of positive relationship uh, between the three of them. As far as the funny moments in this episode go, there, there's lots of things to laugh at. And starting just with Dwight. When the fire alarm does go off, how seriously he takes the fire situation, even though it's really just some light smoke. There, We don't see flames at any point. And so he's yelling at everybody. He's trying to rally everyone else. And he has this great, great, great improvised line where he he's trying to rush Stanley out the door. He says, have you seen a burn victim? <laughs> <laughs> and the reason I know that's an improvised line is because I read Rain Wilson's autobiography called The Bassoon King. And so that that's one of his lines that uh, is improvised and it's a really funny quick moment as everybody's sort of panicking to get out the door and he also has a moment where he takes the water jug off of the cooler and he just sort of sloshes it into the room a couple times and then tosses yeah. the whole thing in there like that's going to do anything but we don't see fire <laughs> right. we just see smoke and then uh as he's crawling out the door uh fire extinguisher tucked under one arm he he's saying clear out stat stat means now but he's the last one to leave everybody's already gone so, yeah. <laughs> uh, good going, Dwight. He takes the office safety very seriously. That's a, a recurring thing for him. He uh, takes his, his role very, very seriously as, well, no, he, he's not the, the safety director or whatever. That's Angela. As it we, is Angela. As she reminds us. Yeah, uh, she actually is trying to shout directions at the same time that Dwight is shouting his in this episode. So, it's funny that Dwight sticks around a little bit longer I think it shows that Angela is probably more effective at her job because she tries to keep everybody calm rather than Dwight shouting at everybody and almost inciting panic. Also before the fire, um, when Michael is, is trying to come up with his 10 rules by lunch, Dwight says to Michael that if he needs it, he can, uh, he can ask Ryan for an extension. Kind of joking, I think. And Michael says, no, 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 I'm not going to ask the temp for an extension unless I really need it. <laughs> <laughs> right. I think that's actually in the deleted scenes. Uh, oh, is it really? Yeah. But Oops. but no, that's okay. That's still worth mentioning. It, it is funny that uh, he's talking about trying to, well, I like that caveat that he adds, unless I really need to. <laughs> unless I really need to. <laughs> and there's one of those early scenes in between Michael and Ryan while they're still in Michael's office is when Ryan first says that he wants to own his own business someday. And Michael does a quote from Yoda, or he tries to quote Yoda. And it's not the greatest impression, but most people, I think, would have been able to figure out what he was saying. So I'm thinking that Ryan might be either punking Michael by saying, uh, was that Fozzie Bear? 
Uh, but it's yeah. funny because <laughs> Fozzie, Yoda, Miss Piggy, all voiced by the same person. So Ryan wasn't oh, too far off that. in reality. Yeah, it's Frank Oz voiced him from the beginning. So just a, a funny thing to laugh at. Another Michael Ryan moment. Um, we've evacuated the building now. It's when Michael and Ryan are in the car talking business. And Michael's very, very interested in what Ryan is saying. And he gets closer and closer. And Ryan says, you know what? Let's let's go get some air. And Michael says, I'm okay. Ryan I'm really uncomfortable, so. (laughs) (laughs) Michael is just so infatuated with Ryan and maybe a little bit, as we learn in the Dundies, uh, has has a little bit of a guy crush on him, but he's so impressed with um, Ryan's ambition and he's in business school and Ryan's so cool. And I think he's just going to get cooler and cooler in Michael's eyes, as we'll see, but Ryan's just not having it. No one even goes a step further in this episode. Uh, Towards the end, they're playing finally, Who Would You Do?, in the circle and uh roy has said angela and jim says kevin <laughs> he says kevin hands down he's got that whole teddy bear thing going on and we could watch bowling afterwards and then michael interrupts and he says yeah i would have sex with not i would do <laughs> he takes it a step further he says i would have sex with ryan and <laughs> it's the most uncomfortable thing as everybody gets quiet and just sort of stares and ryan doesn't know how to react it's just really awkward is what it is Andy's stealing Jim's joke. (laughs) And I think that's what made Michael think that it was really okay, was that Jim had just picked a guy. But Jim was just being real lighthearted about it. And he said he was continuing the the, who would you do line of thinking. That's a much softer way of saying this than I would have sex with. (laughs) Right. And Michael just doesn't get that. And of course, Jim's not going to say Pam, which is who he would do. But, you know, he's, he's avoiding that elephant in the room by switching it totally and saying Kevin. I do have one more Michael thing that I wanted to mention, and that's how he's the first person to sort of sprint out of the office building when the fire alarm goes off. And later he's trying to justify why he was the first one. Um, he says, well, we I, I've heard the phrase women and children first, but first off, we don't employ children. We're not a sweatshop, thankfully. And, you know, women are equal in the workplace by law. So if I let them out first, then I've got a lawsuit on my hands. <laughs> and there, there's actually a deleted scene as well when uh, he says something similar. He's doing the same thing. But he says he, he makes a comparison to a ship captain, like the Titanic or something. And he says the ship captain is the first one on the ship and the last one off the ship. And then he realizes that he's messing up his analogy. And so he says, well... And that means that the parking lot is the ship when the office is on fire. So I was really the first one to run out on the ship. <laughs> right. <laughs> now, as for deleted scenes that we haven't already mentioned, there's this moment where Kevin is counting down a list and he pauses and he says 69 louder than all the other numbers that he's been counting. And he sort of snickers and Angela gives him this dirty look. Then there's this it's not a funny moment, but it's this this moment between Jim and Pam. They have a talking head behind the fire truck and they're talking about how they enjoy fire drills and how they enjoyed outside classes in school and how really during, on those days, nothing would get done. And Jim says, you know, I probably wouldn't be stuck at a paper company if we'd had fewer outside classes. Pam responds, you're not stuck. But Jim just sort of turns his head away and makes his face like, well, kind of. It's funny, I actually read that look, if I'm remembering it correctly, as sort of a, oh, that was a nice thing for her to say. Because she's being supportive. She's saying, oh, you're you're not stuck here. You can do anything you want to do. That's funny. I, I, I read that look from him totally differently. I think you could read it both ways. I, I do like that interpretation, too. It sort of lightens the moment a little bit. 
And especially since Jim is sort of happily in a relationship at this moment, that might be a more accurate reading, to be honest. So yeah, that works. Oh, it's art. We can read it any way we want. (laughs) (laughs) The last one I would mention is uh, we get a couple more characters, Desert Island movies, uh, especially Toby's, who says he picks Say Anything, The Shining, and Annie Hall, and Toy Story 2. And Jim says, like, those are my favorite movies. And uh, that Toby actually wins Desert Island. He didn't know somebody could, but he thinks Toby just did. And then he reveals to Pam in a talking head that him and Toby used to sit together. But Michael moved them because he thought that they talked too much. So interesting sort of backstory between the two of them that Jim and Toby were somewhat close at some point. The office likes Toby. The only person that really doesn't is Michael. Yeah, it's 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 always funny to get those moments. We don't get, get any Michael Toby moments in this episode, but it is fun <laughs> revealing that the other characters do have these positive relationships with him. Well, I guess that goes into our discussion topic for this episode, which you've lined up, Katie. So what do we got? So for this episode, we're going to be talking about what are our five Desert Island movies. And I got to say, I'm a little intimidated because you have Cinescope. You're a big movie guy. And (laughs) I love movies, but I've seen a ridiculously small fraction compared to what you've seen. So I'm going to let you go first. Well, I didn't go with anything obscure. You know, with Cinescope, I try not to rank things. That's sort of one of our our hooks, I guess, is that we don't rate or review. But I do have a list that isn't my favorite movies, but they are movies that I could see watching on a desert island for the rest of my life if I had to. So first, got to say Back to the Future. I knew it. <laughs> then I went with uh, How to Train Your Dragon, which is one of my favorite, okay. if not my absolute favorite DreamWorks movie. The Shining is my favorite horror film. The Polar Express is my favorite Christmas film, and Raiders of the Lost Ark is one of the best, uh, one of the top two Indiana Jones films. So Nice. Solid. I'm happy with that list. It's not like my top five films, but it's a solid list of films. So what about you? All right. My list is a little rough. Uh, Hopefully I have some time before I get shipped off to this island because I need to solidify it. Forrest (laughs) Gump is my first one, which we... uh, You and I just actually did a a Cinescope episode on. Yes, we did. Plug for that. Go listen to that. Totally different direction is The Green Mile. I've really only seen that film, I think, two times, but it's so much. That's kind of all I can handle. It's like once every five years. Harry Potter, but I don't know which one. This is probably a not a very popular choice, but I think I'm going to say Sorcerer's Stone um, because I read book one of Harry Potter so many times as a kid. It reminds me so much of my childhood. Just a simpler time. I think I'd have to say movie one. Ferris Bueller is the movie I watch when I'm sick. <laughs> like I don't know why. Whenever I'm sick or whenever I'm like at home, kind of bedridden for whatever reason, I watch Ferris Bueller. So that's similar to being on a deserted island, right? <laughs> and because The Office cheats, I'm going to as well. Um, I'm going to say my last movie is not actually a movie, but it's got to be a season of The Office. Um, I do have the DVD set. If I can't bring the whole thing, I think I'm going to bring season maybe four or five. Haven't decided. So yeah, it's not, it's, it's not a movie, but who's grading, right? Okay. Well, we can look forward to discussing season four and season five to see what you (laughs) like so much about them. (laughs) Um, You know, I was actually thinking the other day what my favorite Harry Potter film was, and I can't say definitively one way or another. I'm a big fan of 
the Sorcerer's Stone as well. Uh, that was my intro into the world of film music, especially with John Williams' score yes, for that movie. Best score. But wow. I was thinking just the other day that Half Blood Prince, I think, is actually pretty highly ranked for me, even though it's not the best it of the, the book adaptations. It's just a, a good film in my memory. It's been a while since I watched it, so I don't remember too much. But when I think about it, I I have really positive memories of that one. So I believe that's my favorite book of the series, but as far as just good old sentimentality, I've got to go with, with one. Well, I guess that is the end of our discussion. So thank you for that, that topic, Katie. Of course. So that brings us to the end of our official fifth episode of An American Workplace. You can contact us on Facebook at facebook.com slash workplacepod or on Twitter at workplacepod. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe if you feel inclined. We really would appreciate any feedback. And again, any activity on iTunes does make us more visible when people search on iTunes for, for podcasts. So please, please, if, if you would, that would be wonderful. You can email feedback and ideas for the podcast to workplacepod at gmail.com. You can reach me on Twitter at ktlady623 or at facebook.com slash katie.white. And the best place for me is at Chadadada on Twitter. That is C-H-A-D-A-D-A-D-A and facebook.com slash chad.hopkins. And all of the show notes, all of our contact information can be found at our website, workplacepodcast.com, where you can actually comment on individual episodes as well, if you feel so inclined. So that is all for this week. Thank you for joining us to watch one of our favorite shows, The Office, here on episode five of An American Workplace. Make sure to join us in episode six next week for our discussion on the next two episodes of season two, Halloween and The Fight. Bye. Bye.